Hey everybody, this is Devin Boker, and you are listening to The Wildlife. A couple of months ago, I posted a TikTok. Well, I, I post a lot of TikToks at Devin the Nature Guy, if you're interested. Anyway, this one in particular had to do with sharks, and it got a lot of attention. You see, it was a stitch to a video where some crewmates of a cruise ship, I believe, were dumping fish overboard, and they were like, this is why you don't want to fall into shark-infested waters. And I'm thinking, it's the ocean. This term, this term, shark-infested, it just feels so silly. It's like saying human-infested suburbia, or squirrel-infested oak tree, which, by the way, if you've ever wondered what an acorn is, it's an oak tree, in a nutshell. Okay, anyway, my point is, I was talking about the term shark-infested waters, which led me, inevitably, to the current state of sharks in our oceans. Gosh, even that term, our oceans, like, like, like we own them. We have domain over the sea. I sound like some kind of 18th century pirate. Which, by the way, if you are into pirates and things, I know a really good podcast called Avast. It's hosted by my friend Paul, and it's about pirates and pop culture and piratey things. This is Avast, a podcast about pirates in which I introduce you to a pirate you might have never heard of before. Talk about one of my guilty pleasures. Oh, I love it so much. And then grab the ship's wheel and steer this episode into talking about pirate employee handbooks? Anyway, the point, the point, the point. In building my response to that initial video, I had done a lot of deep digging on the internet to look at current trends in shark populations. And one of the things that I found was they're not good. Like, like really not good. But another thing I found was there was a lot of variability. Things happening to sharks in one part of the world were not necessarily the things happening to sharks in another part of the world. There were also a lot of variations depending on species and where the sharks lived. I, I don't mean ocean, I mean, are they open ocean sharks? Are they reef sharks? Anyway, in doing a lot of existential spiraling, looking at all these statistics, I also found somebody. Hello? Hear that? That's the sound of my first guest since Jeff Corrin in February of 2022. My name is Alexandra McInturf, and my pronouns are she, her. I am a postdoctoral researcher at the Big Fish Lab at Oregon State University. And I reached out to her to talk about, well, sharks, shark conservation, population trends. What in the world is going on? Currently, she's working on, well, lots of things. Uh, yes, coding, a lot of coding. Um, <laughs> I have so many screens. So much coding happening on my computer as as we speak during this interview. Um, yes, I have a bunch of different projects happening. Actually, if I were in my office, you would see a giant project tracking board where mm. I, I like to dabble in a lot of things. I think that's the best part of my job is that I get to explore different questions. Sometimes they're very behavior focused. Like studying the social lives of basking sharks. And that's one of my projects that's actively ongoing. But then another project is looking at the impact of salmon sharks on salmon stocks in the Pacific Northwest. And that involves a lot mm -hmm. of stomach dissections and modeling their distribution on my computer. So believe it or not, this is the first time I had ever heard of salmon sharks. Fun fact, the average adult weight is precisely one me, about 210 pounds. Oh, also, they don't just eat salmon. They're known to eat squid, sablefish, herring. They're also known for their ability to maintain stomach temperature, which is kind of an unusual thing amongst fish. So I have a lot going on at the moment. Uh, those are kind of my two big projects, but I dabble in 
reviews on shark social behavior. I like to help out with other projects going on in the lab. So lots happening. A kindred spirit, honestly. Something else we have in common? We're both originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. And if you're even mildly geographically inclined, you know that Ohio is absolutely nowhere near an ocean. It's also round on both ends and high in the middle. And if you're wondering how an Ohioan got into shark science, you're not alone. Um, and so my parents are like, what in the world did we do to create you? Um, how are you the way you are? But, you know, growing up, I always loved animals. I thought I wanted to be a vet because that's what I knew. I knew you could work with animals as a vet. That was basically all I knew. And then we used to go to Florida just on family trips occasionally. And I remember looking at the water and being like, that place is really daunting to me. And there's there that could potentially hurt me because that's what I knew at the time. That's what the media often tells us, right? And we could talk about that more. But I um I remember being like, I wonder if I could learn more about this area. And I think in retrospect, that was really a way for me to combat my kind of innate fear of the predators in there. I think we all have a little bit of that fear. And for me, the way I cope with it is to learn about it. So my dad, and this is how far removed we were from this field. My dad is an architect and he goes, I think you can study the ocean. I think it's called something like marine biology. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And I was 12. And uh, I, I tell everybody I'm living out my childhood dream, which is pretty awesome. This was a comment that I wholeheartedly understood. I mean, as a kid, there was plenty of animals that I was kind of freaked out by, especially trapdoor spiders. It was a whole thing. Um, and also space. Space was terrifying. Black holes in particular. And how did I handle it? I learned a lot about them. I had these like little fact file binders about space and about animals. And um, I, it was kind of like, you know, the more you knew about something, the less you had to fear, right? I mean, there's this there's this element of, of the fear of the unknown. And I, and I really do think that it can be a powerful motivator for education. You know, the more you know, the less there is to worry about. Me, having existential dread since I was five years old, the more I could learn about life and existence and space and the place of Earth and the cosmos, the less I had to be afraid about. Now, I will say this. The truth is, sometimes, the more you learn, the more questions you have. And the more questions you have, the more unknowns there are. And the more unknowns there are, the more there is to fear. And hence, a perpetual existential crisis. Um, you mentioned basking sharks a moment ago, which by the way, I feel really silly about this. I did not know that they were off the coast of California to begin with. Um, cause I saw, I saw your, your research, uh, talking about how there's a, you know, a sharp decline, second largest fish in the ocean. And I was like, wait, I didn't even realize they were there in the first place. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. Um, what can you, what can you tell me about that? Do you, is there anything that you can say about, um, the reasons for that? Yes, absolutely. I can tell you a lot about that yeah. because that was my, my dissertation <laughs> during my PhD. So, um, yes, basking sharks are one of my absolute favorite shark species. I've been fortunate to have studied them in California and also my ongoing field work in Ireland. A really important difference between those two places is that we still see basking sharks in places like Ireland. We don't really see them in California anymore. I'm actually not at all surprised that you said you didn't know they were there because shark scientists in California don't even know that they're there. It's that level of we just we don't see them. We're not looking for them. Um, their history in California is not nearly as embedded in the culture as it is in places like Ireland. 
Um, so when I was doing my PhD, I was like, what? I know that this is historically part of their range. I knew it was California. I'd spent a lot of time studying basking sharks. And for those who don't know, basking sharks are the world's second largest fish. They're about the size of a small school bus and they eat wow. plankton. Um, so yeah, so what I found during my PhD research is we had a lot of sightings data that NOAA, um, the federal agency that kind of manages our ocean resources, mm -hmm. had collected over the years, many years, in fact, almost 50 or so. And I was talking to one of them who had been putting a few tags out on basking sharks in California. And I said, how did you find them? I said, where are the basking sharks coming from? And if I reference tags throughout this podcast, it generally just means devices we put on sharks to measure things. Mm -hmm. So in this case, they were putting out what we call satellite tags to track their long distance movements. Those tags um, emit a location to overhead satellites. So we can kind of see where the sharks are going every time that they're at the surface and those beacons transmit. Um, so my colleague who ended up being an author on the paper, Dr. Heidi Dewar, I was talking to her for the first time. I said, I saw your paper. This is amazing. Where are the basking sharks? And she said, well, you know, we actually have this data set where people have been reporting their sightings for years and years. And what I did for my PhD is I modeled the data. I just threw it all into a bunch of code. I'm going to spare you the details. What we found, though, is that there was a, a, a peak in sightings in the early 1980s mm -hmm. um, and another one in the 1960s. And after that, the numbers have declined dramatically. And now I get a sighting reported to me of one or two maybe a year in California. And that's wow. really sad given that they used yeah. to be so abundant as to be caught in the salmon nets up in Canada. So we think that the basking shark population in California is the same one that migrated up to Canada in the summertime, would migrate down as far as Baja, California in the winter and mm -hmm. do that back and forth kind of yearly. But what we learned is that in the middle of the 20th century, they were actually targeted. They were so abundant up in Canada that the government enacted a culling program to eradicate them because they were becoming entangled in these salmon nets, right? Salmon brings money. Um, and so we think that might have had something to do with their ultimate disappearance. There were also small kind of artisanal fisheries for them in Morro Bay and Monterey. So they were kind of encountering these like human activities that were affecting their population size, uh, size throughout their range. Um, mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that basking sharks in other places like Ireland, Ireland had the biggest basking shark fishery where they fish basking sharks for their oil that was in their liver. Sharks have a massive liver. It helps them um, store their oils and fats. It helps them with their buoyancy because they don't have a swim bladder like most fish. Um, and so for many years, they were fished in Ireland to like light the streets of Belfast, for example, before electricity wow. um, was invented. And yet we still see them over there. Um, so clearly basking sharks appear to be, if not recovering, at least stabilizing in some parts of their range, but almost completely eradicated in others. And what's mm -hmm. driving those patterns, we don't know. That sort of thing. Near eradication in some places, steady growth in others, lots of unknowns. That's pretty much standard when it comes to sharks of all kinds. It's complicated, multifaceted. It's got lots of variables. But I asked Alexandra to try and decipher what are some of the overall trends in regards to shark populations around the globe. 
Yes, definitely. I think what you're kind of seeing, because I did a brief internet search, I'm always curious, mm -hmm. like what folks who are searching for these sorts of facts yeah. are seeing, given what I know is out there in the scientific literature. Yep. There's always a little bit of a disconnect between science journalism and the literature, and most of the time it's no big deal. Um, generally speaking, mm -hmm. we are very concerned about the global populations of most shark species. Now there's many of them, right? There's over 500 species of shark. Um, we actually don't even know the exact number because oftentimes sharks that we thought were distinct species end up being members of the same species. And then sharks that we thought were the same species are different. We find new species. So that number is always changing because as you say, how do you study an animal that 90% of the time you're not looking at, right? Especially these deeper sea sharks. We are learning so much about the deep sea as our technology to access that habitat increases or evolves. Um, so yes, there have been a few papers, scientific research pieces that have come out in the last couple of years where they're saying, you know, 71% of oceanic sharks and rays have declined. Now, what I think is critical is a lot of mm -hmm. these papers are looking at different groups of sharks and rays. So 71% of oceanic, that means our kind of more sure. large, highly migratory species okay. that we would be interested in, like an oceanic tip, for example. Now, that particular statistic, that 71%, comes from a paper I'm going to link in the episode notes entitled Half a Century of Global Decline in Oceanic Sharks and Rays, published in Nature in 2021. Now, I'm, I'm going to spare you the full details. I'm just going to share a couple of key takeaways. Since 1970, the abundance of oceanic sharks and rays has decreased by 71%. The decline in shark populations is attributed to an 18-fold increase in relative fishing pressure. They found that over three-quarters of oceanic shark species are now classified as threatened with extinction, which has worsened since 1980. The study also found, and this is something we'll get into in a moment, that tropical oceanic sharks have experienced steeper declines compared to temperate species, and larger species were the first to decline, followed by medium-sized and smaller species. Some long-lived species, such as the dusky sharks, white sharks, and poor beagles, they have shown signs of population rebuilding, while others, not so much. And the biggest factors contributing to the decline include increasing fishing pressure and unsustainable fishing practices. Let's get species-specific for a moment, shall we? Great white shark populations have declined by 70% in the Northwest Atlantic, and as much as 80% in the North Pacific. Scalloped hammerhead sharks have experienced a decline of around 90% in some regions like the Gulf of Mexico and the Mediterranean. Smooth hammerhead sharks have declined by 99% in the Northwest Atlantic. Ocean white tip, 98% in the Gulf of Mexico since the 1950s, 99% in the West North Atlantic. Dusky sharks have experienced significant declines of approximately 85% in the northwest and western central Atlantic. Basking sharks have decreased by about 90% in the northeast Atlantic. The short fin mako, 60-70% to 70 in the Atlantic over the last 75 years. And again, biggest causes? Fishing, whether directly or bycatch. More on that in a few minutes. Um, and then I recently saw a paper that said, I think two thirds of like reef associated sharks and rays have declined. On the note of reef sharks, I did find another study and I linked that in the episode notes. And it says essentially this, approximately 59% of the 134 coral reef associated shark and ray species are threatened with extinction, making them one of the most threatened groups on coral reefs. And what is the main cause? Overfishing. And it's only exacerbated by climate change and habitat degradation. 
Now, similarly, the study found that population declines have occurred over more than half a century, but the most significant declines happened before 2005. There has been some slowing, but it's still very accelerated. This particular study actually listed some action items um, calling for broad-scale fishery management and marine protected areas to prevent extinctions and preserve critical ecosystem functions. And one more study from Science Direct, also linked in the episode notes if you're curious. This study, based on an analysis of varying figures, found that there was an annual mortality estimate of about 100 million sharks in 2000, about 97 million in 2010, with a total range of possibilities valuing between 63 and 273 million sharks per year. The average rate equaling 6.4 to 7.9% of sharks killed per year which exceeds the natural average rebound rate for many shark populations, which means if it keeps up that way, it is unsustainable and sharks will, well, disappear. Just for a little bit more context, the figure cited in this study amounts to about 11,416 sharks killed worldwide every single hour. In just a little bit more than the overall length of this episode, 11,416 sharks dead. So those numbers vary depending on what group of sharks you're looking at. Because remember, there's so many of them. They're very diverse in their size, their habitat use, their diet. Um, So I think every time someone looks for this sort of information, you should really consider what groups they're looking at. But Nonetheless, we are we are massively concerned. It seems like a huge number of of these shark species are declining worldwide. Um, that seems to be the prevailing trend for most species for which we have any sort of information on their population size. And I know, and this this might be uh, too out of out of field, but um, so I think I remember seeing something. Oh, now I can't even remember the exact statistic. You know how it is. You like start to say statistic, and you're like. Yeah, that might be made up, but like (laughs) most sharks are relatively small from what I can think about when you talk about like large carnivores on land and trends with them and things. Are are we seeing more declines in like the larger shark species as compared to the smaller shark species, you know? That's such a good question. I'm really glad you brought that up. First of all, that size comment, because one of my favorite things to talk about is shark diversity. Like you said, the media loves to talk about these giant quote unquote man-eating sharks, they love to paint this picture of them as being extremely dangerous because of their size in particular and also their eating habits. We both know that that's, you're incredibly unlikely to be even encountering a shark that you see. Every time you swim in the ocean, you're probably really close to one, right? That's their realm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love to tell people about these smaller sharks because I think they're so unloved and understudied, right? And so I don't necessarily think that these trends are restricted to larger species. Now, again, this is not necessarily my field. So this would just be my interpretation mm-hmm. uh, because I think a lot of research, actually I'm doing a review right now that finds that a lot of research on shark behavior in particular is skewed towards larger species. Mm-hmm. These larger species tend to capture our interest and they're really an easy focal study animal. Yeah. These smaller species, as far as I'm aware, a lot of them are deep sea organisms or species that you know we just might not have studied as much, for example. Um, so I, I certainly think it just depends on the threat that you're interested in talking about because mm-hmm. You know, these larger, more mobile species are likely to encounter threats 
in different regions, right? In different countries. But you have a lot of species that don't leave their home range or that little area where they live. So they might not encounter threats in every single country, um, but they might be really susceptible to habitat change happening in that particular location, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily, th- I think it just depends and my answer to a lot of your questions is going to be, it just depends. <laughs> no, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, you know, and so it, it kind of reminds me of, it's like one of my favorite, like terms, I guess it's a term. It's like one of my favorite terms that I kind of love to hate. It's like when people talk about like shark infested, shark infested oh, yeah. waters, it's like, mm-hmm. it's the ocean. Yeah. That's what it's kind of, you know, where they live, but it sounds yeah. like in, in a lot of, for all intents and purposes in a lot of places, you know, shark infested would be absolutely the wrong term to, I mean, for a number of reasons, but maybe depleted. What, what are like the biggest trends out there for causes for population declines? Super good question. Um, first of all, I wish that, that our worlds or our oceans were shark infested, right? I actually think that would be much better for the ecosystem. Shark play, sharks play critical roles in regulating the ecosystems, making sure that certain species aren't overpopulated for the resources that are available in those areas. They're often an indicator that the ecosystem is healthy if they're around. So shark depleted waters, I agree, is a more accurate term and it's a really dangerous one when we consider the state of the oceans, right? That's really not a good sign if the predators can't thrive in these environments. Mm -hmm. Um, What we do know about the threats to sharks um, is it's it's really compounded by a lot of different human activities. Of course, overfishing is the number one threat to most shark species. Um, They are sometimes directly targeted, but very often they're being caught as bycatch, right? They're being caught in nets or on lines that are actually targeting like species that we'd prefer for food. Mm-hmm. Um, but often we also see them, shark products mislabeled um, as something like flake in, in a given market. So they are they are kind of advertised as something else. Um, and that's something people can, can start to think about when you consider your food choices. Um, but certainly they're affected by everything happening from habitat changes that we make, right? Dredging a certain area, developing a certain area, pollution, um, climate change is of course a big one. What we're seeing is, you know, a lot of people are starting to encounter different species of sharks than they're used to if they live by the water. And that's because the oceans are warming and the prey is moving. And so the sharks have to adjust if they can, right? Mm -hmm. And not all sharks can, not all sharks can travel very far. So, So there's a lot happening in our oceans at the moment. And unfortunately, as you mentioned earlier, it's a really hard place to quantify these changes um, because there's so much happening in there right now. And uh, I think that we're going to see the sharks as what we call an indicator species, a, spe- uh, a species that shows us that something is changing. So as, yeah. as we see them move, as we see them absent from certain areas, that tells us that something is probably wrong and it could be related to a number of different things. Sure, sure. Could, uh, is there, is there, could, you, could you tell me a little bit more about that that ecological function of mm-hmm. of a lot of sharks like what what I, everyone's always got the question of like purpose and i always think that's kind of just an interesting philosophical thing anyway is like why do we like feel the need to attribute a purpose <laughs> you know to like everything it's just you know it's, it's filling a niche you know it's a, it's a thing um but like in terms of role mm-hmm. how significant are sharks for yeah. for the health of the oceans yeah that's a really good question i agree with your 
philosophical comment. <laughs> I also think for, I get this question a lot because for sharks specifically, those animals that have been villainized basically by the media, mm-hmm. you really have to tell people about their purpose because otherwise they just think that they're these dumb big predators roaming the oceans, right? That's certainly not true for a variety of reasons. Speaking with my animal behavior hat on, they actually have really complex behaviors and can behave in a really almost intelligent way if I were to anthropomorphize. Mm -hmm. But getting back to your point about their role in the ecosystem. So sharks have incredible diversity in body size, diet, right? We mentioned all this earlier, habitat use. But um, so when when we talk about their role in the oceans, I think we often have to consider which species we're talking about because they're really different. But nonetheless, they fill all different sorts of ecological roles. Some of them, these smaller species, serve as prey to bigger animals, right? Even bigger fish, marine mammals, birds, larger sharks, right? So they might be what we call mesopredators, where they kind of sit in the middle of the food chain. And then you have your apex predators, which people love to talk about, your white sharks, your Mm -hmm. tiger sharks. Actually, basking sharks are technically an apex predator. Oh, that's interesting. They eat plankton, nothing eats them, so they're at the top of a very small chain. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but these bigger predators, particularly the ones that eat fish directly rather than the basking sharks, which are a unique exception, Mm -hmm. um, they are really important in making sure that these fish populations below them in the food chain, right? If there's too many of those fish populations, they're going to eat all of their own prey, right? So for example, if if sharks are eating something that is eating plants in the area, this is a really simple food chain. We would take away the sharks, there's gonna be an abundance of those middle fish, right? And if those middle fish are too abundant, there's not gonna be any plants left over to feed them all. And then that population dies. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what we call a trophic cascade. That's a very jargony way of just saying the food chain basically collapses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sharks play super critical roles in making sure that those food web collapses don't happen. And that kind of all of these abundances of these animals within that food chain, that's all balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, sharks also play really important roles in, for example, transporting nutrients from habitat to habitat. I've done a little bit of work on nutrient transportation by animals, and we find that they're actually really critical, what we call vectors of nutrients. We don't think about this, but every time an animal poops, that's fertilizing a given area. So you have these predators that can eat a lot and they move from place to place. They can transport nutrients between those locations, right? So so they play a lot of different roles, and I think... um, I think it just depends on the species you're talking about. But again, you know, as we're seeing disappearances of some of these species, that also indicates to us that the the rest of the food web below those predators is not healthy enough to support them. There might not be enough of their own prey. Um, so that's a problem, especially because mm-hmm. sharks eat a lot of the same things we're interested in eating. So if sharks can't be sustained on those those populations, that doesn't bode well for our future in the seafood industry, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, one of the most complicated questions I feel like when it comes to anything conservation related, because it's the number one question that I get almost right away from people and from listeners is, well, you know, what's something that I could do? What's a part that I could play? Is there an actionable step that I can take? You know, I'm in Kansas City. You know, what what's something that I can do that has an impact on sharks, you know, a positive impact instead of a negative impact? I mean, is there is there really anything that you know average person can do? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question because again, when I go back home, Cincinnati, mm -hmm. Ohio, people are like, what are you doing with your work, with your time? And I explain this to them. I get a lot of people who are really fascinated by these animals, but think, you know, well, me living in Cincinnati, I can't do much to harm or help the ocean. So it doesn't matter because I don't live by there. And mm -hmm. I think that's a really toxic way of thinking because we all affect the oceans based on our decisions every day. Um, whether it's the actions we take to augment or decrease, you know, climate change or carbon emissions or whatever. Um, for sharks specifically, I think that um, thinking about, well, there's a few things. First, thinking about what you're buying is actually really critical. There are shark products in a lot of things like sunscreen, actually. Really? And again, as... Yes, that's been something that's come up a few times. And also sharks have, again, they, they're often mislabeled in markets. So you mm -hmm. might be thinking you're eating a fish that's actually ends up being a shark, right? And I think that's a huge problem as well. So being really aware of your food and consumer choices generally is a really good thing. There's a lot of resources online um, that can tell you if if a fishery was sustainable, the animal you're eating was caught in a sustainable fishery. And what that usually means is that they're reducing bycatch. Um, so we talked about the fact that sharks are often bycatch in a lot of these fisheries. You probably don't want to buy fish or support a fishery that's catching a lot of bycatch. Mm -hmm. It's not just sharks, it's sea turtles, it's mammals, it's a big problem. Um, so thinking about those food choices, where you're getting your seafood from in particular, especially in the Midwest, I have encountered this problem myself, right? You're so far removed from the source of that food that sometimes it's easy to disassociate from that. Yeah. Um, and so you're thinking about, I've seen shark actually served in rural Ohio. And I asked him, I said, where did you get your shark from? What kind of shark is it? They had no idea. So this is the, this is what I'm talking about, right? And yeah. I wasn't trying to be rude about it. I was just like, hey, do you know? And there was this moment of, oh, no, we don't know. And that happens all the time. But I think often people don't even ask because they're afraid to be seen as difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, another big thing you can do, a lot of our research is underfunded. Um, so when you're asking about the state of shark populations worldwide, we don't have the tools or the resources to go out and actually measure what sharks are doing, where they could be found because people like to give money to things that they're not scared of. So um, thinking about organizations you can donate to, research programs, um, you know, and I say this selfishly because the Big Fish Lab at Oregon State, which I'm a part of, we're really trying to start to understand these concepts on the West Coast of the US. Yeah. And that's a big issue right now. So, mm -hmm. so those are kind of the two big takeaways I could have is learn, learn about the animals, A, think about what you're eating and what you're doing. And then also think about how you can support ongoing research activities that can give us more information on the status of these animals. Okay. Is, is and is there anything, I know this might be, this might be a hard one. Um, um, are there any like significant industry issues or, or governmental things that, that could be done that could help shark populations? Yeah, I think that's a really complicated but excellent question. I think another thing I would add to the list I just mentioned is think about these policies if you can think about them really critically. Um, any policy you see that might affect ocean life, you should think about. For example, what we're seeing for some of the recovering populations, for example, white sharks appear to be recovering in some areas. Um, and that's likely due to something called like a retention ban. So keeping the animals on the boat is called retention. 
not allowing people to do that is fundamentally letting the sharks go. Um, so I think I think it's tricky because I think sometimes policy can be a little bit confusing. Yeah, I think maybe more impactful would be to start to follow shark research programs online and seeing the policies. What we've started to do is a lot of social media and outreach, right? We mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff like this because we want to make sure people have access to the scientists. I think that's a huge, you know, yeah. gap that we're trying to fill at the moment. So, for example, if there is a big policy coming up, you have questions about it, reach out to your local shark scientist, reach out to any shark scientist, because I'm sure we'd be happy to give you an informed opinion. But I think consumer pressure is going to be equally, if not a bigger push um, towards protecting sharks, given that overfishing is kind of the number one issue we're dealing with. Um, my number one piece of advice to people when they're thinking about sharks, a lot of people are curious about sharks. A lot of people are curious about big predators generally, but are so scared of them that it almost precludes any other sort of insights into them, into their behavior, um, into their conservation. But as we've talked about today, sharks are in a really dire situation, which is a huge problem for our global ocean environment. And I think I would just ask people to think really critically about what you see in the media. The number of times we see some sensationalized headline about a shark bite or a shark yeah. attack, um, it's really challenging, right? So, I mean, you're more likely to be killed by a vending machine or a cow <laughs> for my Midwesterners than a shark. But, you, you know, I think it becomes such a, a gripping piece but a lot of that is because of the way the media depicts it. So think about the music that's playing during these pieces. Think mm -hmm. about the language they're using to describe these situations. And you know, what's wild to me is we don't go into the woods carrying a bag of raw meat um, and hope that the bears don't come after us. You know, people aren't, people are smarter on land because this is our domain. Yeah. But you know, we have people swimming around fishermen. We have people swimming in areas where sharks have been sighted and not really thinking about it. So I think the way we treat our ocean predators is still lagging behind the respect we might have for those on land. And I would just ask people to be really conscious of that just because they're fish and they don't look or act like us doesn't mean they don't deserve our respect. And remember that every time you go in the ocean, that's where the sharks live. Mm -hmm. um, so that doesn't mean that I don't sympathize with people who have had negative interactions with them or that I feel any less for their families. But I think it's also really critical to start to turn the page on how we understand these predators. Something that Jaws started a long time ago, it's still something we fight daily as shark scientists. Mm -hmm. So I would just ask people to start to look at new sources of information and learn a little bit more about them uh, before you come to conclusions about human shark encounters generally. Context, context, context. So much of how we view wildlife, how we view the management of wildlife, the conservation of wildlife, even the phrasing that we use like management and conservation is framed through a human lens and often a human use lens. It's not often that we take a step back and think about things through the perspectives of the animals, of the plants of the ecosystems, of the, of the interconnected nature of things. I mean, it's already difficult enough as humans to walk in each other's shoes, to, to cross party lines and have a conversation, to understand people's motivations, why they might believe something. 
So of course, it's also really, really difficult for us as humans to step out of being human and to step into the context, into the, into the, into the perspectives of, of wild lives. But I think it's essential in our understanding of wildlife and in determining the best ways to conserve and protect wildlife, not just now, but into the future so that wildlife isn't just on the brink, but flourishing. I want to thank Dr. Alexandra McInturf once more for being a guest on the show, for, for giving her time to sitting down and talking with me about, about shark conservation, which is obviously a very complicated topic, as, as you just heard. There are layers on layers on layers. There are actionable steps. There are steps that are technically actionable but have a lot of barriers. There is just, there's a lot of stuff. And it's heavy. And it's big. And it's complicated. But the work and the messaging and the, and the communication of people like Dr. Alexander McInturf are making that work less big and and less insurmountable. They're, they're, they're giving hope. By furthering our understanding of hard to observe, rarely encountered species like, I don't know, basking sharks, for example, they are helping us to better determine how to protect them into the future. And that starts with determining how we are impacting them now. Because let's be honest, the common denominator amongst every one of these episodes when we talk about a species imperiled or a group of organisms that has been on the decline is humans. So, to learn more, to check out any of those research papers we referenced, uh, to, to check out Alexander McInturf's website and see all the amazing work that she is doing, all of the things, all of the links, you can see those in the episode notes. Also in the episode notes is the link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash the wildlife. You can join that for as little as $1 a month. And um, I know that's, you know, $12 a year. And some people will say, ah, that's really not that much. And of course you should join. It's only a dollar a month. I understand that not everybody can. And I understand that sometimes the way to support, the best way for you to support, um, if you are wanting to, is just to share the episode. And you know what? I appreciate that too. I, I, uh, I'm eternally grateful for anyone who decides to join the Patreon genuinely eternally grateful i think about it all the time and it's one of those things where i constantly have like this almost imposter syndrome because i'm going i don't deserve this and these people are supporting the show and I, I oh my gosh like i just feel so grateful um so if you can awesome i appreciate you more than you could possibly imagine and i will think about you all of the time <laughs> and in a very not creepy way um and you can do that at patreon.com slash the wildlife. And I'm working on implementing some more things that you get in return outside of just supporting the show. Either way, either way, this topic to me is, is really, really important. It's important to me, but I think it's important just in terms of, of, of awareness, global awareness. It's, it's global scaling. It's a global impact. So please, if you have listened and you enjoy the conversation, um, share it. Share it with your, your friends, your family, your, your work acquaintances, that person that you know on social media that happens to like sharks. Um, hey, you know what? Even the people who don't like sharks, go ahead and share this episode. And uh, with that, thank you for being here and peace out, Rainbow Trouts. Next time, we have a revisiting of, mm, let's see, let's see, let's see. Ah, yeah, 
there we are. Ooh, we're already there. A revisiting of our Nature's Vampires episode. I think it was our fourth, no, our third, our third interview episode ever. Um, and there's some funny stories behind that one. So just stay tuned for that. And as far as our next new episode with a new interview, that one will be with Eric Eaton on Wasp. And let me just tell you, one of my all-time favorite conversations I have ever sat down to have. So I'm very much looking forward to getting that one out there. Okay, take care, be curious, get outside, and just be yourself. <laughs>